2: or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone.
0: The Volume. No! Oh my God, how could he do that? Are you like, on? Don't cha-
1: what? Charles Darwin.
0: The nerds is where it's at.
1: Welcome, everybody, back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brever, and alongside me is Logan Camden. He is back, and today we are going to be talking about everything that we saw here in week nine. We're recording the show on Monday night because I was at Bills Bengals Sunday Night Football. So we're going to start there. Felt like one of the two biggest games of the week and for the Bills, it was really just a good old-fashioned slow death for three hours. They continue to trend down, down, down and the Bengals, now one-four straight, continue to trend up. So what did you take away from this one, Logan?
2: Well, we can start, Carson, with a long, long debate uh, that has been going on for a very long time in NFL circles and that is the Joe Burrow versus Josh Allen debate. Mm -hmm. I I think that during this season, I think Joe Burrow has been constantly disrespected and kind of thrown under the rug. You know, we get caught up with Mahomes and Allen a lot, and it didn't help with the slow start in the calf injury and how un-Burrow-like Joe looked. But everything you see in this game is why I had Joe Burrow as my number 2 quarterback heading into this season. You know, we've, cel- we've celebrated his cerebralness, his control of the game, uh, his poise, his accuracy, his processing, how quickly he gets through his progressions and his overall brady-esqueness but what i think's gotten lost with burrow carson is his big play creation and his play extension the way he moves and operates in the pocket i think we get caught up with the physical traits of josh allen and patrick mahomes and all these different arm angles that they can throw on and how well they can throw on the run and how fast and what athletic specimens they are but i think because of how special they are doing that i think How special Burrow is as a big play creator and play extender kind of gets lost. He's got great feel in the pocket. He senses pressure exceptionally well and uh, he extended a ton of plays here. His mobility was a huge factor of why the Cincinnati offense was able to succeed and I still think that on his best day Josh Allen is better than Joe Burrow. What Josh can do at his absolute apex is almost unmatchable. Uh, the, The ceiling that he can reach as a rusher. How effective he can be in the red zone. The big playability with his arm. He's just got one of the biggest arms in NFL history. But Joe Burrow at the end of the day Carson is just more consistent. I trust Burrow to control the game more. I trust him to control the line of scrimmage and more importantly to limit mistakes. Uh, I love Josh Allen but he is flawed. You you see a lack of focus and control at some points. He's more prone to bad decision making. You see that pick to Cam Taylor Britt. I see the vision. I see what Josh Allen is trying to do on that play. It's a cover two man up. He reads it and thinks it's a cover two where Taylor Britt is pressing the receiver at the line of scrimmage and he's going to drop into a flat He hesitates for a second, and that moment of hesitation costs him where Cam Taylor-Britt is able to slip back and intercept that ball. On that play specifically, Diggs is open in the flat. I think you should either zip it to him and let him dance, go to work. You mentioned it, Diggsy is one of the best yards-after-catch guys in the league, Carson. You had our group chat during the game. He is super, super special, man. It's just the reality of Allen, man. He has the most interceptions since entering the league. He has the most fumbles since entering the league. And he has the most overall turnover since entering the league. And this has been a really bad stretch. He's got interceptions in five straight games. And I want to be clear about something. I don't think this is an optimized situation for Josh Allen. I think Burrow's O-line is better. I think his weapons are better. I think Burrow's system is more creative and clever. Yeah. And I think his defense is better. But I always come back to these comparisons as quarterbacks, Carson. Josh Allen is Brett Favre. And Joe Burrow is Tom Brady. I think those are really apples-to-apples comparisons. And again, this game is... I don't know about that. The game's not far apart. It ends 24-18. The Bills could have very well won this game. If you don't have the Josh Allen interception, if Allen connects with Gabe Davis on that TD that he just overthrows and they can't connect, Gabe gets a hand on that ball. And the late Dalton Kincaid fumble. These teams are still very close, but I think top to bottom, the Bengals are the better football team...
1: And I prefer Joe Burrow to Josh Allen. That's just not my takeaway from this game. I think that you hit on what my takeaway from this game is towards the end of your spiel. And that is that the Cincinnati Bengals are a way better football team than the Buffalo Bills. And Joe played a really clean game you cannot have any complaints about what joe burrow did in this game he made the right decision over and over again the bills are also a dream matchup for him and that's why we see cincinnati continue to have success against buffalo and burrow specifically they're going to play a lot of soft coverages and they're going to play a lot of zone and for a quarterback who is as cerebral as joe who gets the ball out quickly who makes such good decisions he can just pick them apart and he does and you're right He did a really good job of evading pressure in this game when the Bills got some. I didn't think he did a ton of creating in terms of arm talent, but yes, extending plays, he did a nice job. The Bills only get home once all day. Another very disappointing performance from their defense, but the Bengals also did a great job of helping him out in this one. Like, they can't run the ball. That is a real limitation that they have, but... Zach Taylor does a great job of drawing up these short-route combinations, attacking the soft spots in the Bills' zone. They had a bunch of success with screens in this one, getting their athletes in space, and just basically out-athleting the Bills' defense. And the amount of time that Burrow's first read is a good option, that he can get the ball to an elite receiver who is going to make a play happen, and it just leads to easy offense, is so frequent. And when he's off on a throw, when he misses T. Higgins, totally short he picks it up off his shoelaces he makes the guy miss makes the play happen in space when he throws the ball to a blanket at t higgins he goes up there makes an unbelievable contested catch you compare that to what josh allen is working with for the bills in this game offensive line awful consistently under duress and josh is extending plays better than joe he's just a superior athlete both of them did well josh is just flat out more special in that category And dudes aren't separating. Gabe Davis, zero catches in this game. He is a bad number two receiver. He is so unreliable. Every technical issue that we've talked about, he is so inconsistent in that role. Dalton Kincaid, to me, has clearly surpassed him as a target already, but... The Bills don't have elite athletes on the field. Diggs is amazing, but when you're talking about what Jamar, what T. Higgins can do in terms of just athletically dominating the opposition, it sure would be nice if the Bills had a guy like that out there. And they don't. They can't run the ball either. They run eight times for 24 yards in this game in terms of the running backs. Josh makes plays with his legs, but nobody else is doing anything. And their play calling sucks, man. Dorsey is completely uncreative. When they do run the ball, it's so dumb situationally. It's 1st and 10, and they just get shut down, and they set up 2nd and long over and over again, and then that doesn't work, and they abandon the run entirely. It is just such a frustrating experience watching Josh Allen have to overcome everything with the Buffalo Bills right now. I can't put this on him. Like, Josh is not playing bad football whatsoever. He's playing really well. Now, what is inexcusable is the interception. He doesn't just get one freebie a game. He may be more mistake-prone than other elite quarterbacks and make up for that with his exceptional creation. I do believe that. I believe that we've seen the results with how dominant this offense has been. Top three in scoring for three straight years. Elite third down offense. All of this in spite of him having limited talent compared to the other elite offenses around him. But that doesn't mean that on the first offensive snap of the game, he can throw a terrible pick against the Pats. That doesn't mean that he can have the terrible read on the Cam Taylor-Britt interception and a bad throw as well. That doesn't mean that he can have the four turnover game against the Jets, right? This year, it has been too much. He can play better than this. But if I am attributing blame to the Buffalo Bills, he is such a small slice of the pie because he is the thing making them a respectable football team. Offensively, I've expressed all my issues. This defense is bad, dude. Without Matt Milano, without Trey White, without Daquan Jones, this is a legitimately bad defense. They are 27th in yards per play. They are 23rd in terms of third down defense. And this game over and over again, blown coverages. They could not get the Bengals off the field. They go 8 of 13 on third down. Poyer and Micah are still solid But they were so important to making this an elite defense with their ability to cover so much ground on the back end. They're just not what they used to be in their mid-30s now. Von Miller can't get on the field, dude. He's playing a quarter of the snaps and when he's out there, he is a complete non-factor. And on top of that, they're missing three key defensive players for the entire season. So this is just not a very good football team, man. For five weeks straight, they have underwhelmed every single time. And Josh is putting a band-aid on some stuff, but if he's not perfect, they cannot beat a team like the Bengals. You say that they could have won this game, that would have been a miracle. They would have had to pull something out of their ass, man. Yeah, losing the turnover battle, that's the nail in the coffin, that's the dagger for them, but consistently, they were just outplayed by a better football team.
2: I agree with you on a lot of points. And yeah, I mean, it's close in the sense that if they connect on two plays where they don't. You know, it swings the tide of this game. The fumble with Dalton Kincaid where they're marching, it finally looked like the Bills are going to turn a corner and maybe steal this game. And the Gabe Davis one, Davis gets his hand on that ball. And what I mean by that, Carson, is I just... You are right on a lot of points. When you talk about the receiving difference between what the Bengals have and what the Bills have... It's not just straight up one-on-one, their talent is better than the Bills. That is the case, but what I mean by that, too, is there's so many guys on the Bengals offense that command attention. If mm-hmm. Jamar Chase motions out to the left side, if T. Higgins marches out to the right side, it, it, there's just more attention that needs to be paid to more dynamic weapons. When you are the Buffalo Bills, this is why we said at the trade deadline, they should go out and get anybody who is a serviceable number 2 Uh Just, you know, a floor guy. If it's Juju Smith-Schuster, man, I don't know. Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of wideouts who are apparently unhappy with their situations. You go out and get one that can just win one-on-one. Like you said, Diggs gets so much attention every single game. It's hard when you don't have another guy that you can rely on when there's a guy taking up so much attention. I agree with you, too. That's the point that I think you hammered home. If Josh Allen doesn't play perfect, this team the Bills are not going to beat good football teams. He has to play perfect football. But that's kind of a part of my Burrow argument here, is Joe Burrow can play perfect mistake-free football. Is he afforded a little more leeway because of how good his defense is, because of how good his weapons is, because of how good his game planning is with the offensive coordinator? Yes, I think all those things are true, but... I trust Joe Burrow more than almost any other quarterback in the National Football League to play mistake-free, perfect football where they protect the Rock, he makes good decisions all game long, and they roll. And if the Cam Taylor-Britt pick doesn't happen, maybe that is the difference maker in this game. Again, it's a one-possession throw, but I do think it's unreasonable to expect Josh Allen to play perfect. Like you said, we can't give him a slide for all the mistakes he's made this season. We can't expect him to play perfectly. It's a bad situation, but... I don't want to undersell and disrespect Joe Burrow and what he is doing game to game and how back he looks. He looks phenomenal, and he's just, he's so damn consistent, man. Joe Burrow, it's like a, I don't know, man, it's like a, (laughs) Josh is the motorcycle, man. You can can go really fast, and you can make some crazy stuff happen on that motorcycle, but Joe Burrow is like the sedan, man. He's steady. He's steady, and... I just prefer that a little more, and maybe it does have more to do with the situation, but I have felt that the gap between Burrow and Allen is really marginal, and I just trust Joe Burrow more to play consistent, mistake-free football and to make good decisions, and that's a difference maker for me between the two and why I prefer Burrow.
1: I think it's close. Of course you can trust Joe more to play mistake-free football. That's not something that anyone would argue. My argument is that the upside of Josh's creation, his absurd athleticism, what he can do on the ground, this unrivaled raw arm talent, has led to better offense over the years. They have consistently been a better offense in terms of regular season scoring with inferior talent. Josh is the one who had one of the great two-game postseason stretches we have ever seen Mm -hmm. with the Pats and the Chiefs masterclasses back-to-back. Joe Burrow couldn't do that. The best game of Joe Burrow's career could not touch what he did in back-to-back performances. So that's what I'm betting on. If you prefer Joe, I understand it. It's just I cannot watch this football game as I did every single down for three hours and come away from it thinking, oh my God, Joe Burrow is so much better than Josh Allen. It is so much a product of the totality of their circumstances. I do want to give... Big props to the Bengals as a whole. Joe Mm -hmm. is balling. He is 100% back. This defense has continued to make strides. I thought the pass rush was impressive in this game. I think the secondary has progressed that transitional period, losing both safeties, investing a lot in the draft. They're trending in the right direction. And this is a team that has a legitimate chance to win what is a wide-open AFC. Mm -hmm. I have been much slower to re-crown the Bengals in that conversation because I had concerns about some of the defensive regression we saw early in the year and their continuous inability to run the football and some of the line struggles we saw. I think a lot of those issues with the exception of the run game have significantly improved and when Burrow is playing like this with this receiving core, they're just a very reliable, very, very strong football team. For the Bills though, I think you are now in like long-term decision-making mode because this is a really, really pathetic start to this season. To be 5-4, and four, to have losses to the Jets, who, yes, are a solid football team, but by God, if you did not hand them four turnovers, they would not have had a prayer in that game. And they are still one of the worst offenses in football, point blank. We see that again tonight. To lose a game to the New England Patriots, to allow them to put up 29 points on you. I understand the defensive issues, and I think that to some extent, you have to look at Sean McDermott there. Like, yes, of course, the injuries are a factor but I think that he is not doing anything at this point to elevate this football team. I heard Colin talking about this on his podcast last night, and it exactly echoed the conversation that we were having at the game, after the game. My friend Carville made the analogy to what the Warriors had to do, making the decision to move on from Mark Jackson who had gotten them to a good place, who had established a defensive culture there, made them a good basketball team, for the guy who could get you over the top, the offensive visionary like Steve Kerr, who could see a different utilization for Steph Curry, who could take you up to that championship level. I think there is a strong argument that Sean McDermott is not that guy. I don't think he is elevating this team in terms of his defensive play calling, Obviously, he's not bringing anything to the table offensively in the mind who they have there right now. Ken Dorsey should absolutely be gone after this year. He is a total limiter. He is a liability in terms of what this offense can accomplish. And I think the culture is built, man. McDermott has done his job there. He has overhauled what was a problematic culture for a long time. Now you bring in a great offensive mind and you get the best you can out of Josh Allen and you raise this team's ceiling because this is by far the weakest Bills team of the last four years. Since Josh took that leap the year after they had that bad playoff loss to the Texans, since Josh reached MVP caliber and this offense became elite, I mean, this team is significantly weaker than any of the other renditions that we've seen. And to me, when you see regression like this, and when you can point to frustrations with coaching, McDermott has a terrible challenge in this game that takes away a valuable timeout in the final minutes of the fourth quarter. I don't see what he's doing to elevate this team. I think that they need to go out there and pursue somebody who can do that because you cannot just sit there and be complacent in the years of a quarterback like Josh Allen's prime.
2: And not only, Carson, do I think this is the worst iteration of the Bills we've seen with star Josh Allen. I think that they're getting lapped by other teams just in general areas. Again, you point to the defense. They're decimated by injuries, but they're not strong in the trenches. You have to be. The Bengals just killed them there. I think all the other contenders have better defenses, better lines, better systems, and better weapons. It It is Josh Allen versus the world, Carson, and what sucks for the Bills now is after this loss, they have left themselves seriously vulnerable of potentially missing the playoffs in what is a very weak AFC, where it feels like, like you said, if you crack the playoff picture, you have an opportunity. And again, you have to reach a certain borderline level to be a contender, but you know, the Chiefs offense isn't superhuman anymore. Yes, this is the best defense of the Chiefs era, but it's not Tyreek, Kelsey, and Mahomes putting up 40 a game, killing teams. You know, the AFC feels very much like any of these top contenders could win it, and the Bills just aren't on that level. And again, I, I hope it doesn't happen. I don't want to see it happen. A loss to the Jets mean that they will have leapfrogged Buffalo in the AFC East, and uh, you just can't slip up the rest of the way, man. Uh, Carson, I mean, how are you feeling? Do you feel like the Bills are at risk of potentially missing the playoffs? Do you think that yes, uh, there's another direction they should head in? I mean, what, the, what do they need to do differently moving forward to make sure they crack the postseason?
1: Well, I think it's just going to be a question of what superhuman level Josh can play at because I think the defensive personnel is decimated now. I did like the move to go out there and get a legit high-level corner in Rasul Douglas, and I think we'll see him play a larger factor as he gets more comfortable in this scheme, but he looked very solid in the action that we saw from him. But it's really not about sneaking into the playoffs this year, which, by the way... Is going to be a struggle. I think that they will. I still think they are a better team than their record. Like the fact that they are 5-4 and four while being a top 5 scoring offense and defense. That is an anomaly. That is very disappointing. But again, that shows that they are better than their record. But it's a matter of the schedule, man. They got to go to Philly. They got to go to Kansas City. They got to beat the Cowboys. They have to go to the Chargers who are at least a talented football team offensively. They got to go to Miami. They could easily go 4-4. Four and four. With the way that they're playing right now, and maybe you don't make the playoffs in a pretty strong AFC, not necessarily in terms of the absolute top tier talent, but the depth of quality teams is very, very impressive. And if you do that with where this team has been, that's a major disappointment. I think it is justification to clean house because we haven't seen progress right now. We are actively seeing the opposite and it goes beyond just the coaching staff. I think we are in a little bit of a retool season for the Bills now where a lot of their best players have aged out of their primes especially on the defensive side of the ball. We talked about Poyer, talked about Hyde, talked about Vaughn Miller, Trey White. I love that man. Who knows what he can be like after a second major season-ending injury. And so this is a team that has to make big changes in the offseason in terms of coaching, in terms of defensive personnel, and ideally in terms of adding another legit weapon in the receiving game who is better than a Gabe Davis type. You got to put all your chips in. And the Bills needed to do a better job of building a complete football team, and they have to going forward. I will say, shout out to the Cincinnati fans. I thought that they were very classy. I found them to be a very well-conducted people. One thing that I will say, though, is they got to work on their song. I'm privileged going to Bills games. They have the best tradition after touchdowns, but I don't know if you've ever heard what the Bengals do, Logan. It's incredibly strange. It was clearly written in the 1930s, years before the franchise was even founded. It goes something like, Cincinnati, Bengals, Cincinnati, yeah. On offense, he's a brute. On defense, he's rough and tough. FDR for president in 1932. Put those points up on the board. Go Bengals. Very, very, very strange. I've
2: never heard that in my life. I figured they'd do like a who day or
1: something like that, man. Well, they do. They do. But that's what they do after the touchdown. It's a very long song, too. It's like a minute and a half. I totally just undersold it. And the Who Day thing is also complicated because yeah. of the Saints, Who Dad. I looked into the history there. It seems the Bengals were on it first, but it's unclear. Apparently, Louisiana high schools and colleges were using it in the 70s before either team It became popular with the Bengals in 81, popular with the Saints in 83. I really dug into this because I feel that Who Dad is more famous, but the Who Day is pretty ubiquitous. But those are my thoughts on going to Cincinnati. My other thought is just, we talk so much about people thinking they're main characters in today's day and age. And I don't know if there's a single better example of that than fan superstitions, thinking that we're having a legitimate impact on the game. People sitting in their couches obviously the players have no idea who they are, never will have any idea who they are. Just completely convinced that wherever they're sitting on the couch, whether they're sitting or standing is having a legitimate impact on the game. That's a widespread delusion that I think is probably worthy of some sort of diagnosis. You Logan should be diagnosed with it. And all that being said, I can't help but apologize to the Buffalo bills because we went to a bar and grill before the game. That was low energy. It was depressing. I think that we brought that atmosphere into the game. And I think that ultimately we cost the boys. And so we got to take that on the chest. Dude. I mean, fans have to bring the vibes i mean yeah. always they imperative
2: and i'll tell yeah. you if i put a Steeler hat on the bed you know which i've done before i'm still convinced i'm the reason we missed the playoffs in 2013 you know i'm the reason we started 0 and four and you are
1: because you are the most important factor in the Steelers success
2: always none of the players none of the coaches not the game plan it's because i put the hat on the bed man i curse the team
1: That's what I'm saying, dude. That's a sickness, but it's a sickness that a whole lot of us have. So, all in all, good weekend in Cincinnati. Bengals are looking really good. And props to the fans. They weren't just kind. They bring energy, dude. Any small, cold city is going to be an unbelievable football city. And I have a real appreciation for that. Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati. It's all they have, dude. So many people in Bengals gear. It's a cool environment. The other big game of the weekend, Logan... Big time divisional rivalry game between the Cowboys and the Eagles, of course, comes down to the final series and ends in the most Cowboys way possible. What did you take away from this?
2: Cowboys fans just live in perpetual agony, man. I cannot imagine, like you said, I can't imagine a more Cowboys loss. I can't imagine this game of going any differently. It's just a brutal way to lose for Dallas. The fourth and goal in which they choose to throw... Schoonmaker gets to the one-yard line. They opt not to kick the field goal. I mean, just brutal him not getting across the line. Yeah. Then you march all the way back down there. You score a touchdown. You don't get the two-point conversion, which would have made it 28-25. So what does that do? It takes away your ability to kick the field goal for the tie. And if you had gotten the two-point conversion earlier in the game, it would have given you an opportunity to win the game. Also, if you had gotten the field goal... It's just a a really brutal way to lose for Dallas, and I think you see the lack of dynamism here, man. That's one thing that Philadelphia doesn't have, and all the other legitimate contenders have. It's, they have rock-solid defenses, they have rock-solid offensive lines, but they also have offensive dynamism. If it's because of the weapons that they possess, or if it's because of the different ways that they can kill you. Philadelphia, right, best offensive line in the league, Their RPO game, Carson, is disgusting. You just cannot defend against it because... On the outside, you have Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown. And if you don't uh, put enough attention on those guys, Jalen Hurts is going to find him. Or if it's Dallas Goddard. If you don't bite on the run, guess what? Well, that line's going to get pushed, and they're going to get an easy 6-7 to yard gain. If you don't put a guy on Jalen Hurts, guess what? He's going to scramble out there, and he's going to make something happen with his legs. There's just a different level of dynamism with Philadelphia's offense. With the San Francisco 49ers, great offensive line. I know they've hit a bit of a skid. Weapons all over the field. Great, reliable running game. When Brock Purdy's in tune, he can hit all of these weapons. Debo, Ayuk, George Kittle. The Dallas Cowboys just don't have that luxury. Dak Prescott played a phenomenal game. And I hope that people don't come away from this game going, man, Dak Prescott stinks. This might be, barring the stretch where he got injured and I thought Dak Prescott was a bona fide MVP candidate when slinging the ball over the field, This is the best season I've seen from Dak Prescott, and he's had a few up-and-down games, but for the most part, Dak has been the steadying force on this team along with the defense. And defense and a good quarterback is going to take you a long way, but what we're finding out here is that the Dallas Cowboys just aren't dynamic enough to make stuff happen. They got a really good number one in CeeDee Lamb, they got a good quarterback in Dak Prescott, but they cannot reliably run the ball. I like Tony Pollard, he just isn't what we thought he was going to turn out to be and there's not a ton of weapons here sure i mean dak can do enough but you just can game plan a little bit better for the cowboys than you can for these other teams their offense just doesn't have a ton of different ways to kill you the eagles do the niners do the cowboys just don't and again if one or if a few different things go a different way in this game late if they kick the field goal if they get the two-point conversion it changes the dynamic. But They're just not as dynamic as these other contenders, man. I think they're really talented. I think you can win with Dak. And I know that's a consensus that a lot of people have had through this stretch, that Dak Prescott is just not a guy for the big games. Dak has shown up in games this year. He has not been the issue. He's been far from the issue. Again, it's like the Josh Allen conversation, man. You know, I think Dak Prescott's a good quarterback. I think Josh Allen's a great quarterback. The teams surrounding them are just not up to contention level. And, and again, I think it's just the surrounding pieces on offense, man. It just feels like Dallas needs a a really dynamic running back to step in here or they need another number 2 wideout that can alleviate some of the pressure. Brandon Cooks has not been that guy. Uh, shout out Jake Ferguson. He's got a good game in this one, but you know, I don't think he's a super big game changer for me too. I just think Dallas is in the next tier because of what they lack dynamism-wise
1: on offense. I thought that this was overall a pretty good game from the Cowboys. I think Mm -hmm. you could argue that they outplayed the Eagles. Dak was really exceptional and has been for the last two weeks, which to me is legitimately encouraging when you're talking about the Cowboys' outlook because one of the most concerning trends of the early stage of this season was that Dak was having a lot of the same issues as last season. He came out, he was struggling to establish a rhythm, and particularly... He was turning the ball over too much and we saw some of the same dumb gambles that he was taking last year when he had his most turnover per own season remaining an issue. That has not been an issue for the last three weeks and particularly in the last two, he has been slinging it. Big time throws from the pocket, big time throws on the run, extending some plays in this game. And I do believe that this Cowboys team is absolutely able to go toe-to-toe with anybody in the NFL in terms of raw talent. When Dak is playing like this, a CD is a very, very high-end number one receiver. I think overall the offensive talent is still good and we know what they're capable of doing defensively with that pass rush. It's always going to come down to a question of execution and it is just so cliche at this point But as they say, Logan, here's a cliche about cliches. Cliches exist for a reason. And it continues to bite them in the ass, man. The sack and the penalty when they just can't afford it on that final series is the difference in this one. And of course, being a quarter of a yard short, as you mentioned, going for it on fourth. I'm not discouraged by this game for the Cowboys, but it doesn't really change my outlook on them either. The only thing that I have really seen That has made me feel better about them over the last couple weeks is what we have seen from Dak trending upwards. When he's playing like this, yeah, they can beat anybody, but do I trust them to be sound enough in those big time situations with McCarthy running the show, with some of the issues we have seen from Dak in those big time situations over the years? I just remain skeptical of that. I continue to think the Eagles are a better all around football team. I think they're probably the best team in the NFL right now, Logan. It's a conversation that has been very open in the past few weeks. What's your take on that?
2: They're in my top three. Uh,
1: okay, yeah. with who? Uh,
2: Baltimore and Kansas City are, are okay. my other two top three teams. You know what? Philly is probably number one for me just in terms of just talent and unstoppable yeah. formula. Uh it's so crazy, man, to think that a team can get eight yards on the first three downs and they're just unstoppable. You know what I mean? If you get yeah. that one to two yard range, yeah, it's an unstoppable play. And what's even freakier is, uh, I don't think it was in this game, but last week we see them uh, run a halfback toss out of the uh, like a fake tush push. And I mean, mm-hmm. that's just, what are you supposed to do with that, man? That's unstoppable. And the Eagles are, Jalen Hurts is in a really optimized football situation. I think Lamar's better. I think Mahomes is better. That's why I hesitated on crowning them, but he has such talented skill position guys. They really yeah. make up for, and Jalen Hurts isn't a bad quarterback. They just make up for the gap between oh, yeah. them and those other guys. Hurts thanks.
1: Is, thanks for clarifying that Hurts isn't bad. Hurts, Hurts is, Hurts
2: is phenomenal. Uh, but the gap between them and him and other quarterbacks, like a Mahomes, like a Lamar, I think is made up by having an AJ Brown and Devonte Smith, maybe the best wideout duo in football. I mean, they're disgusting. Yeah. Philly is up there for me, man. And you know, I, results are important results are really important in this league the only thing that matters wins and losses but you make a really great point with the cowboys man it's not going to change until we finally get the result when you execute in those final moments when you can change the momentum of this team and get some good wins in here man they just have to stop coming up short in big moments man if it's dropping a goose egg against the 49ers man a complete dud of a game if it's dropping to the cardinals it's We need to see it, and the Cowboys have Mm -hmm. yet to show us. But where do you come down on that, Carson? Are you, is Philly definitively number one for you? And what advantages do you think they have over other contenders?
1: I think it's exactly the reason that they were my Super Bowl favorite. They are, with the 49ers, the most talented overall team in football. And it's what we talked about last week with some of the regression we've seen from Purdy. The tiebreaker is that I do believe that they have legitimately elite quarterback play. Not Lamar-level, Not Mahomes level, I think Hertz is probably just outside that top five, but similar to Dak, he had a concerning start to the year, where he was looking out of rhythm with his receivers, and he was dealing with a nagging injury as well, but he was making some bad decisions with the football. Already has more picks than last year, but had eight through the first seven games, so that was a concerning trend, but now he has really found his rhythm, found his footing again last couple weeks, been playing very clean football. Had that one just beautiful dot to Devontae for the go ahead fourth quarter touchdown. And when you talk about the unstoppability of this offense, they are the number one third down offensive football, tied with the Buffalo Bills, and the number one fourth down offense. Like that is just unbelievable ability to sustain drives, to keep your offense out there, to dominate the time of possession and grind up and exhaust defenses with their ability to run the ball at a really high level, too. I mean, they're just more athletic. They're just more talented offensively. They're obviously more dominant in the trenches. The only question at this point with Philly is really, can this defense replicate last year's dominance? Which I sort of held out being legitimately concerned about. And obviously, it's still not a red flag for me because I do think they are the best team in football. But they're still sitting at 20th in terms of yards per play allowed. This is the number 20 scoring defense. We've continued to see teams find more success through the air against them than you would expect, this being another example of that. Howell last week had a monster performance. They're undisciplined late in this game. A couple of penalties that kept that final drive alive for the Cowboys, let up over 400 yards in this game, really kept leaving that door open. So that's going to be the only factor. When the Chiefs defense is in a different stratosphere right now than what the Eagles are doing, and they still have Patrick Mahomes, is that enough to make them the favorite? Probably if this Philly defense doesn't trend upwards. However, I do still believe they are so talented and especially so dominant with that front, but I still think their secondary talent is better than they've showed. Now they have Bayard out there. I think that defense is going to trend upwards, and that will probably be enough to push them over the top, but... Nobody's gone out there and grabbed that title as the best team in the league. It looked like it was the Niners, and then they had a few very concerning losses. But I do think I would lean Philly right now.
2: No, you're exactly right to lay that out as a concern, though. I mean, they're 25th in third-down defense, they're 26th in red zone scoring. Red zone scoring is by far, uh, in my opinion, to be the Mm -hmm. most important. Can you stop a team and limit them to field goals in the red zone? And overall, they're 29th against the pass, like you said. I hold out hope for them, too, because I still think this is one of the best pass rushes in football. They just put an absurd amount of pressure on the quarterback on a week-to-week basis. But that is the biggest red flag on this team. That being said, it is not enough to, you know, propel another team above them, though, right now. I still Mm -hmm. believe in Philly, and they're still my favorite out in the NFC. But we'll see over the next – we'll we'll see through the rest of the season. They've got Kansas City – In week 11 and that's going to be they got a bye week next week and then kansas city that's going to be a real test and i think that's going to tell us a lot about both of these teams
1: yeah this entire stretch of the schedule for philly is brutal as we talked about but they've held up well through the opening of that brutal stretch and you mentioning the red zone defense numbers just made me think about the particular achilles heel for the cowboys offense so far talked about situational execution especially late in this one They remain the number 29 red zone offense, and that has been probably their biggest issue overall, and it ultimately does them in in this game. NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is celebrating with an unbeatable offer. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets for throwing down $5 on the NBA. Win or lose, it doesn't matter. You'll start the season with an instant dub. And with DraftKings parlays,
2: everyone's got a shot at even bigger basketball wins. String together multiple bets from the same game or build your parlay across multiple games for a shot at making your payday even sweeter.
1: Basketball is more fun when you're in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code NERDS. New customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly for betting just $5 only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code NERDS. The crown is yours.
2: Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problems with gambling. Call eight 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 seven eight nine seven 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 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com football terms for eligibility and to Deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
1: But we talk about the Chiefs as being in this conversation for best team in football. Logan, they come out with a big win here, very dramatic after taking a three-touchdown lead early. Comes down to the final sequence. What did you take away from them going over and beating the Dolphins in Germany,
2: dude? The Chiefs, they, I, their defense is just remarkable, man so numbers about the miami offense man overall just staggering in comparison to some of the great offenses throughout nfl history number one scoring offense in football right now nearly 32 points per game uh, in comparison to every team since the nfl merger they ranked 21st in points per game they got the number two passing offense by yards per attempt the number one rushing offense by yards per attempt and they're averaging 0.515 points per play that stat started being tracked in 2003 Courtesy of TeamRankings.com, only nine offenses in the NFL history have eclipsed five points per play. That includes the 2020 Packers, the 2013 Broncos, the 2010 Patriots, and only six offenses have averaged a mark better for an entire season than this year's Miami team. The 2018 Chiefs, the 2016 Falcons, the 2011 Packers, the 09 Saints, the 07 Patriots, and the 04 Colts. Pretty rare company. What's going to hold Miami back is that they struggle against legit teams. I know that's been the big takeaway uh, after they've been 0-3 against 500 teams this year. Carson Tua is 28-15 and as a starter, and he's 6-10 and against teams with a record over 500. Uh, we have a good sample size here, 16 games, and Tua's played well. 4,462 passing yards in those games, 278 yards per game, 26 passing TDs, 15 interceptions, and a completion percentage of just under 62%. He's played well. But again, their historic 30-point-per-game offense against teams that are over 500, they turn into a 17-point-per-game offense. And I also want to mention, too, those Tua numbers are really heavily bolstered by a 6-TD, 450-yard performance he had against the Baltimore Ravens, uh, I believe, a year back. So you take that game out of the picture, he's closer to 20 TDs, 13 picks, and 4,000 yards. Still a good track record, but not great. That's a difference, man. It's Tua's limitations as a QB to me, man. The arm strength, the fact that he has to throw to spots, the timing of this offense, that it has to be so on time for Tua to succeed. It's just the biggest limiting factor of this team. It just reinforces two things to me. The Chiefs defense is really good. It is one of the top five in the NFL. And Tua is a big limiting factor of this offense when push comes to shove. I hate picking on Tua, but... To me, that's the difference. I'm not completely out on the Dolphins. I want to be clear on that. I think, like the Dallas Cowboys, while they might not be in my number one contender tier, I think they can go toe-to-toe with anybody any given Sunday. The O-line is great. The defense is solid, better than I expected. I think they're trending in the right direction with Xavier Howard and Jalen Ramsey back out on the field. And they got a good pass rush and a good front seven. I like Van Ginkel. I like Phillips. I like Chubb. I like Wilkins. Like, I'm not completely out on the Dolphins, but they are definitely in a tier below for me than the real contenders. And Tua continues to be one of the biggest limiting factors of this offense when they play against really talented teams.
1: You can't ignore the trend here. You mentioned the numbers, but against playoff teams this year, and outside of that, the Dolphins have played an incredibly weak schedule with the exception of the Eagles, the Bills, and now the Chiefs. They're dropping 17 points per game. They're allowing over 33 This was the best performance from their defense by far, but we saw them get just shredded by the Bills, and the Eagles had a lot of success too. Best performance from their defense, talking about when actually facing legitimate competition, because they only allow 14 offensive points in this game. The other seven come from the defensive touchdown, and two of this season in those matchups, 230 yards per game, three touchdowns, two interceptions, obviously just a brutal finish to this game. I know that there's been a lot of conversation about what happened on that throw to Cedric Wilson, who looked like he had a potential touchdown on third down. Looks like the ball just slipped out of Tua's hands to me. Uh, Some people were saying that it was a miscommunication on the route. I mean, whatever the route was, that was going to be a terrible throw. I don't really put too much stock into that. It's not like that was a question of arm strength. Tua's arm is not that weak, fellas. You can't get carried away with the narrative like that. And then, of course, he has the fumble on what was a perfectly fine snap on the last play. That's unfortunate. That, to me, doesn't really say anything big picture about Tua, but I agree with everything that you say. When the timing is disrupted, when he is facing high-level defenses who can generate pressure, who can force him to try to extend plays, he struggles in that environment, he's going to make some more mistakes, And ultimately, your offense is just going to take a legitimate hit. That's what we've seen from the Dolphins. That combined with the questions about this defense is why I can't view them as a legitimate contender, regardless of how much they may run circles around some of the weaker teams when everything is just humming for them and they're not being challenged offensively. But this is every bit as much about the Chiefs defense, who won this football game for them, man. I mean, the Chiefs offense really stagnated in that second half. And it was a defensive touchdown that was the separator in this one. This is the number 2 scoring defense in football. This is a defense that is 3rd in terms of yards per play allowed. They are top 5 in pressure rate. It's a damn good front. Just all around, this Chiefs defense has been so impressive. And that's why I continue to hold out faith on them as my AFC favorite. That margin isn't growing as the Chiefs offense has sputtered a little bit in these last couple weeks. But the fact that that unit is so undeniably elite at this point, that is a top-five defense. The only thing you can argue is where they fall within that top-five. Again, the formula of that, by far the best defense of Mahomes' career, and Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback talent we've ever seen. When it comes down to a single-game format, it might be tough to pick anybody to overcome that.
2: I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it. Um, You know what, even against Philly, what am I doing? I don't think I would. I think even head-to-head against Philly, I... I would never bet against Patrick Mahomes, and I know that it's was a tough popular, man. I know this was a popular pick this week. A lot of people were taking the Dolphins to upset the Chiefs because of the offensive struggles. I, I I'm going to go back on what I said earlier, actually, about Philadelphia. I couldn't, in a one game scenario. I don't care who the Chiefs are playing. I couldn't bet against Patrick Mahomes.
1: Yeah, it's tough. I couldn't bring myself to do it, man. It's very tough, and that was my exact thinking last year. There was no question who was the more talented overall football team on paper. But I couldn't bring myself to pick against Mahomes. Push comes to shove. Maybe I feel that same way this year. When we're talking about who is the best football team, I feel like it's the Eagles right now. Yeah. But Patrick Mahomes is a superhero, and this is the best defense that he has had. How concerned are you about the offensive issues? Does that really ring any alarm bells for you long-term for Kansas City?
2: It's a good question, man. Not really. Uh Because they have Travis Kelsey, you know, and I know that Uh teams have been able to kind of gang up on Kelsey a little more or give him a little more attention, which again is why I thought, you know, it was so critical for the Chiefs to go out and get another number two receiver, especially, man, it felt like a lot of teams were in the market for a number two guy and there were a lot of guys on the market. It, It really surprised me that more moves didn't happen. I'm slightly concerned, but again, when you look at other aspects of the Chiefs, probably the best running game that Mahomes has had, maybe the best offensive line that he's had up front, uh, despite the right tackle issues. I still like the guys in the middle, and you got Mahomes and Kelsey. It's it's an underwhelming group. It's the most underwhelming of the Mahomes era, but if this defense keeps playing it, no, I'm not, I'm not really concerned at all, man. I don't really know if there's a team that's going to be able to shoot them out, and I feel like in a scenario where they get dunked on, you still have Mahomes, and this is an offense that's going to try to Sling the hell out of the ball. And I like Rasheed Rice a lot. I don't know if yeah. he's a I don't know if he's a number two yet. He's a he's he's a he's an okay number two. I wish they had somebody better where Rasheed could be the slot guy or the third guy, but Rasheed is an okay number two where he's serviceable and I've yeah. liked what I've seen out of him this year. So marginally concerned, but I there's only a certain level of anxiety I can have with the Chiefs offense when they have Mahomes and
1: Kelsey. And Andy Reid, of course. And Juju was just an okay number two last year. Like, he was a more polished, reliable, technical receiver, I would say, than Rasheed Rice. But I do like what we've seen from Rice. We've talked about it before. I think the depth of the receiving core is better than last year. Part of this to me is Mahomes hasn't been his best this year with the exception of that Chargers game when he was really humming. And yes, he has made some big time throws that the receivers have dropped. We've seen a couple games where that has been painful. But for the most part, I just think when he is at his best, humming with Travis Kelsey, the totality of this receiving core, there is enough guys who do specific things well that it's going to be an elite offense. And with an elite defense, they're still my favorite in the AFC I would still pick, if it came down to it today, the same Super Bowl matchup that I had in the preseason. I had Eagles over Chiefs. That's probably how I'm leaning right now. But you mentioned the Ravens working their way into those conversations right now, man. A dominant win over the Seahawks. 37-3. to How high are you on Baltimore right now?
2: Yeah, I mean... The Ravens are up there for the best team in football right now. They've got a plus 115 point differential. That's number one in football. I do want to mention with a little bit of an asterisk, they've played nine games. Some teams have only played eight, so that margin is going to be a little larger uh, until teams catch up to them, until the Ravens have their bye. They've got the 46th best point differential through the first nine weeks of a season since the merger of the 45 teams above them. 21 of them have made the Super Bowl and 12 of them have won the Super Bowl, so they're in pretty good company there. And I think they do have the best defense in the league. I said a couple of weeks ago, two or three, I had the Browns one and I had the Ravens two. I think I was wrong. I still have the Browns in my top five, but I think the Ravens are my number one defense in the league. Above the Steelers, above the Browns, above the Chiefs, above the Eagles, above the Niners. They're number one in defensive points per play. They have the number one scoring defense at under 14 uh, a game. They have the number one red zone defense. And a stat that I found fascinating uh, courtesy of Ben Solak on Twitter, they're allowing a touchdown on just 8.7% of drives this season. Carson, the only defense better since 2000. One of the greatest defenses ever, the 2000 Ravens. Again, tremendous company there. And they've got the number seven third down defense. But the big difference to me with teams in years previous is this is the best offense of the Lamar era. The team can march on you. They hold on to the ball. They prolong drives. They keep your offense off the field, and they've been really good in big spots. They've got the number six third down defense this year. They've got the number six red zone offense this year. And they can run the ball with seemingly anybody back there, man. If it's Gus Edwards, if it's Justice Hill, if it's this Mitchell kid, I've never heard of him, dude. He busts out for nearly 140 yards this game. And again, it's the same thing that I mentioned with Jalen Hurts, dude. These rushing quarterbacks, you just have to respect them in the RPO, and the play-action game. If you don't give them attention, they're going to burn you, and you see it. I mean, he opens up Mitchell in this offensive line, get a ton of push, he breaks some tackles, breaks off some big runs, but a lot of the way that this scheme works is because Lamar has so much attention on him as a rusher that there's just guys committing to him that opens up plays for other guys on this offense, and again... We've been saying this through the start of this year. There's just a new dynamic to this passing game. These are the best weapons of Lamar's career. Mark Andrews, as reliable as they come, he is a top three tight end in football. Odell Beckham, while he's not what he once was, he is a tremendous release valve with great hands. I continue to love what I see at of A Flowers. He is dynamic as hell. He is a yak machine. And I think this is the best version of Lamar Jackson we've ever gotten. Uh, even compared to his unanimous MVP season in 2019, and that was the best Ravens team that we had seen. I think this is the best Ravens team of the Lamar Jackson era, even more so than that dominant 2019 team. His acceleration is unreal. Like I said, he commands so much attention in the backfield, but Lamar Jackson is legitimately great as a passer now, in terms of patience, reading the field, sitting back there, And I still think he has an underrated arm, man. He has the Michael Vick thing. I I can't really quite explain it. It's not a beautiful throwing motion, but that little flick of the wrist, man. Vick did the same stuff where it was just, it looked so effortless. The ball can jump off of Lamar's arm. He's got a really good arm, dude. And he's got really good touch on throws under pressure, on the run, outside of the pocket, scrambling. Lamar's just a damn good quarterback, man. And that's why the Chiefs, Eagles and the Ravens are top three for me I think the Ravens are probably number three right now but again this may be a completely (laughs) two drives go differently Carson we've been saying this for nine weeks two drives go differently they would be nine and oh right now and this may not be a conversation every media outlet may be saying the Ravens are the best team in football they are certainly in the conversation I'm not ready to crown anybody right now but damn the Ravens are good And they were certainly one of the front runners for me in the AFC.
1: Through the first six weeks, we talked about how obvious it was, how talented they were as a football team, how well Lamar was playing. But it was just some of the weird situational stuff, receivers dropping passes, late game execution. And we were waiting for that signature Ravens explosion. And now we've gotten two of them in the last three weeks against good football teams, man. Beating the Lions 38 to 6, and now Seattle 37 to 3. Of course, excellent defensive performances, but over 500 yards of offense in both of those games. And you gave the little asterisk about the point differential stat. I'm going to wipe that right away, man, because Logan, lucky for you, man, I'm a human calculator over here, okay? And we can take away the they've played an extra game factor because their margin is so large. Their point differential per game is plus 12.8. Next best in football. Is the Niners at plus 9.8. Ironically, the second best total point differential is the Buffalo Bills. Hilarious. But they're blowing out good football teams right now. And this is the vision, man. This is exactly the vision that I anticipated before the year. I had the Ravens as my one seed in the AFC. I have felt that they are a top two team in the AFC along with the Chiefs. After the Dolphins game, I would have put the Bills right there with them. But ever since, there's been clear separation. Baltimore and Kansas City, to me, a tier above the rest of the conference. Cincinnati Cincinnati, now climbing. Cincinnati now climbing, but with how dominant the Ravens are defensively, just being in a different tier, they're firmly in the conversation for best defensive football. And what we are seeing from Lamar in this offense, the conversations we're having about Josh Allen and Joe Burrow, obviously, partly because they just played head to head, but Lamar has to be in those conversations, man. Oh, yeah. Lamar has played the quarterback position as well as anybody in football this year. We're going to do a midseason awards show later this week, and I don't want to give anything away, but I think he makes a very strong case for MVP, and I think the statistical case probably undersells him a bit just because of like the passing touchdown numbers. He just hasn't been the guy who has gotten the ball in some of these situations with under five yards to go, but he is the one driving them down the field. He is the one with this completely unique athleticism. Dominating on the ground, but as we've talked about, being more selective there. Being just a brilliant pocket passer, making great decisions with the football, being extremely accurate, the most efficient we've ever seen him with the best weapons he's had. And that was really the concern with the Ravens teams of old, was could they become a bit too one-dimensional? And I don't have that concern when Lamar is this elite as a pure passer, they absolutely are just about as good as anybody in football, and they are showing it right now.
2: Yeah, and I just want to give a big shout-out to John Harbaugh and this organization as a whole. Uh, I just think they've crushed the draft in recent years. This has been a picturesque rebuild. They built this defense up so well, drafting Kyle Hamilton, Patrick Queen, Justin mm-hmm. Matabuke, Marlon Humphrey, making the trade for Roquan Smith.
1: Yeah, dude.
2: You know, it, it the Ravens are just one of the best organizations and best cultures. I'd say in football. I think in sports, man. Harbaugh, and I think Harbaugh gets criminally underrated in these talks as a leader, as a head coach. He's one of the greatest coaches in NFL history. And he's helped build what you know was one of the best organizations in football under Brian Billick. And they've continued uh, just to sustain that. I don't know. If, yeah. It's, it's, it's really hard. For 15 years of consistently great football, the Steelers and Ravens have been providing it. Carson, he's got the fifth highest winning percentage uh since taking over in 2008 with MVP level quarterback play with Lamar Jackson at the helm. He's got the second highest winning percentage in the NFL yeah. when Lamar plays. The Ravens are a class act, Harbaugh is a class act, and they just they're they're consistently one of the best organizations in football and they're going to continue to be with Lamar in this defense at the helm, man. I just, I want to yeah. tip my cap to them, dude. It is,
1: there. there's a level of consistency with Baltimore that is just remarkable. 100%. Amazing organization. Amazing coach. And you mentioned that stockpiling of talent. Great job through the draft. Aggressive in terms of adding established star talents. Everything that, as a Bills fan, I wish they could be. But... When we are talking about the most talented top-to-bottom teams in football, I said it's the Eagles and the Niners, but you know who's number three to me? And the only thing holding them back is the lack of that elite skill position talent, the lack of elite offensive talent on the perimeter outside of Lamar. I think they've upgraded there. I really like Zay Flowers. I just can't put them in the tiers of what the Eagles and the Niners have in terms of weapons. But the Ravens are the third most talented team in football, I think, because they're still good there, and they are loaded at every position group defensively. I mean... The pass rush is far from the strength, and they are leading the league comfortably in sacks. Just unbelievable. you got to give a lot of credit to the coverage there as well, but what an all-around defense. And then they have this incredible one-man offense in Lamar. That is such a good football team, and I'm really excited to see how they continue to progress. Opposite them, how worried are you about this for the Seahawks? A little bit. You know, honestly, I thought,
2: for the most part, I thought Seattle did a really good job uh, defensively with their secondary. I thought they played well for the first half of this game and limiting uh, Baltimore. Gino has some bad throws in this game, some bad decisions. But I don't know. I never really considered Seattle was creeping to me into playoff contender tier, but I had them in the, the Rams tier of teams. I didn't Ugh. fully buy into wow. come well, on now. I don't know. I mean, the Rams in terms of you know sneaking into the playoffs or something. The
1: Rams?
2: Right? Yeah. I, with a healthy Matt Stafford, the Rams. It's a bad loss, and there's been just really poor games where Geno doesn't show up. Yeah, That concerns me, but I don't know. I never really thought that Seattle was creeping into that upper echelon of teams for me. And I still think they're a playoff contender. Like you said, man, to me, this is more of that signature. Damn, man. The Ravens 40-P somebody. You know, the Ravens put up 35 mm-hmm. on somebody and decimated them. It felt more like that recipe. It's definitely not a good look for Seattle, but I thought it was a bad Geno game, and the Ravens were really able to sustain drives in the second half and just capitalize on on some bad Seattle mistakes. It's concerning, but I never really considered bumping Seattle up into that upper tier. Maybe the Chargers. The Chargers are probably a better comp. Okay. The Chargers yeah. kind of tier of teams.
1: I'm more comfortable with that. They had the good win over the Lions in Week 2 where we really saw that offense explode. But the Geno stuff has been concerning. I was such a believer, bro. Mm -hmm. They wrote him off. He did not write (laughs) back. And he had such a great season. And I wasn't too concerned about the trend we saw down the stretch where he became a bit more turnover prone last year. But what we've seen in the last four weeks, can't really ignore, man. He's got eight turnovers, and there's just inevitably – A spot where he takes a chance that you just can't justify. Another really dumb interception in this game. And he was just inefficient and inaccurate overall. I still like Gino, but he carries a real responsibility with this team because it's not going to be an elite run game. And yes, they've improved the defense a lot and it's a good secondary, but it's still a mediocre pass rush. It really hasn't been that good of a defense. They're number 21 in terms of scoring on the year, so... I think they're a team that is going to sneak into the playoffs. I do not think they're a team that is going to make noise in the playoffs unless maybe Geno starts playing at the level he was at early last season. But I'm concerned by the trend with him. But you know who's playing better than Geno Smith right now, Logan? And who is playing better than a lot of established, legit veteran NFL quarterbacks? CJ Stroud, who just had an absolute masterclass, played one of the best players, Rookie quarterback games in NFL history, set the rookie passing yards record for a single game with 470, also had five touchdowns, including a big-time game winner. What do you even have to say about CJ after that?
2: I don't think we have been talking enough about what a tremendous season that Stroud has had. You know, I mean, we've checked in week to week after good Stroud games. Oh, he looked really good in this one. I mean, Stroud was my number one quarterback in the board. Coming into the draft, I thought that he should have been the number one overall pick. I liked his uh, his build a little more. I liked his physicality. I liked his poise. And we had seen Shroud on the big stage, you know, in playoff games, under pressure, make big-time throws. But, I mean, he has surpassed all of my expectations in then more. As you mentioned, through eight games, 2,270 yards, the seventh most through QB's first eight games. 14 TDs to one pick. Tied ninth most passing TDs through QB's first eight games. And... Don't, don't look now. He's got the best interception percentage in NFL history. 62% completion. 34th best through a QB's first eight games. And a 102.9 passer rating. The fourth best passer rating through a QB's first eight games. And you highlight that game-winning drive. Flawless execution. I mean, for a rookie quarterback in that scenario, the kind of poise and control and understanding of the game it takes to do that. I mean, it's up there with, in my opinion, two of the most successful rookie quarterbacks in Uh, in recent memory, in Big Ben and Dak Prescott. That level of late-game control and understanding.
1: Let me tell you something, buddy. He's better than either of them were as a rookie.
2: For sure, especially because of the responsibility that he has. Yes. You think about Dak and Big Ben. They have elite running games that they could turn to immediately. Ezekiel Elliott was the best running back in the NFL, behind the best offensive line in the NFL when he entered. Dak Prescott could rely on that. Ben Roethlisberger kind of mirrored. Has Jerome Bettis and Willie Parker in the backfield to rely on in that first season? Uh, Actually, no. Willie came on the next season. It was Jerome Bettis, Deuce Staley, and the boys. But again, rock-solid running game and an awesome offensive line to rely on. I want to give credit to the Texans O-line. They've played really well this year, but he has not had a running game at all to rely on. The entire offense has really been on his shoulders, and he has shouldered that load. He has carried this offense on his back, but amazing execution on this game when he drive he knew where the ball needed to go he knew the situation and the moment wasn't too big for him he hits two receivers over the middle something that i think some quarterbacks may hesitate with oh we need to get the ball outside of the numbers we need to stop the clock he didn't worry about that he took what the defense gave them because they were running prevent two quick shots over the middle great plays immediately hustles to the line of scrimmage and then one of those beautiful balls I've seen on a corner route perfectly dissects the cover three. And when a corner route splits the guy in the deep cover three flat and then the guy up top, beautiful throw. And then he throws another beautiful ball that dissects uh, the cover four uh, in the end zone. I mean, literally the routes. And that's another part of this that I want to give a ton of credit to Bobby Slowick for what he did to draw up and what he has done to help CJ as a rookie quarterback. Great play calls. To pick apart the defense, I mean, a ton of credit to Stroud. I mean, he makes great throws. He, again, he's comfortable in the pocket, and he's ready for the moment. But those were perfectly drawn up in schemed plays to pick apart what the defense is running. The Buccaneers called a perfect defensive play call. You drop cover four in the end zone, and you hope that the, your guys can cover, uh, can cover all of the end zone. The route that he calls drags the second corner on the inside in and just opens up that window for Stroud to throw for. He's poised. He has got a big, accurate arm, and he is not afraid to push the uh, ball downfield. Uh, C.J. Stroud is a franchise quarterback, bona fide. I believe in him. But I want to give a ton of credit to Bobby Slowick in this offensive line. They played a tremendous game, and they have been instrumental as well in helping Stroud come along. But he's a franchise guy, and I'm tired of acting like he isn't
1: who's been acting like he isn't? I don't know if you remember, Logan. After week four, I wrote down in my notes twice, he's the real MF and deal about CJ Stroud. The kid is special. He's not just a franchise QB. He's a borderline top 10 QB right now. Yeah, man. Certainly above average as a starter, as a rookie. And I think as a guy who has legitimate MVP potential down the line, there's just very few rookies who we have seen who are this damn good. I think we are talking about a guy who is in that Cam Newton, Justin Herbert caliber of all-time rookie season, bro. If you just look at his production, this is a guy who is third in passing yards per game, third in yards per attempt, thrown 14 touchdowns to one pick and is not in an optimized situation for offensive success. Now, you give props to Slowick in the line. We also got to give props to the receivers, because Tank Dell, Nico Collins made some big-time athletic plays in this one. Noah Brown had a very good game. CJ made sure that all of his dogs ate, but they also made some big-time plays, went up there and got the ball when they needed to. But the poise and the confidence from Stroud is so consistently incredible this is a dude who just already feels like a veteran out there who is in such control of the game who is so ready for the big moment but also you see the raw arm talent shine here especially on that third touchdown pass where he is in a crowded pocket he can't really step up and he hits the receiver perfectly in stride 40 yards downfield for a touchdown when you can blend that with his mind his accuracy that's scary the fourth touchdown pass showed the mental processing that perfect anticipation to hit Schultz on a big time fourth down where they can't kick field goals because they don't have a kicker throws the ball before Schultz is out of his break it's exactly where it needs to be when it needs to be and you talk about pushing the ball downfield that is the exact phrase that is so key to Stroud's success yes he has good deep ball receivers guys who can stretch the field vertically but my god is he willing to let it rip and that's huge when you have a 40 second situation and you need to go 75 yards but just overall it's been so essential to his success and this offensive success he's top five in attended air yards per attempt he's second in air yards per completion and he did this lighting up the box for 39 points against a defense that was averaging 19.7 points per game allowed a good defense not a great one but a good one so what we are seeing from cj stroud is truly special He had an awesome first four weeks and then he came back down to earth a little bit in the weeks five through seven range. But what we just saw from him is legitimately up there for the greatest game any rookie quarterback has ever played. And that's a legitimate reflection of his talent. That's not a one-off. That's the sort of thing you expect from a guy who was balling so far beyond his years.
2: And it really is remarkable. Uh, I know we've already stressed this, but it really is remarkable how he's doing it in spite of his situation. You know, we tend to make... A lot of excuses for quarterbacks. Oh, he doesn't have this. He doesn't have that. CJ Stroud is really balling without... I mean, dude, I didn't know if the Texans... I didn't know if the Texans had a number one receiver coming into this year. You know what I mean? And no disrespect, I think Nico Collins is legit. I think Nico Collins is a beast. I think Dalton Schultz is really good. I think Tank Dell is really good. But no running game, an average offensive line that is playing above their means without a really go-to number one receiver. Stroud has not made excuses. He has excelled, and... Again, it's just, this is a really tough situation to step into. I thought the Texans were going to win, you know, four games, man. And the Texans in him have exceeded all of my expectations this year, dude.
1: Stroud is, as you
2: said, man, the real and
1: deal. And I do think he's a top 10 quarterback, dude. And I think that we've probably thrown out 15 names at some point for being in that conversation. But the reliable production we are seeing from him, the raw talent, and the poise that's special i think he does more to elevate the guys around him than so many other dudes around the league and he's doing it with far fewer mistakes fewer mistakes than dak fewer mistakes than gino more creation even than a jared goff the kid is just special and what a joy it was to watch him do this this is it we've got an amex platinum pro on our hands ladies and gentlemen was what Josh Dobbs was able to do for the Minnesota Vikings, man. A little bit of a Minneapolis miracle, if you will, him leaving them on that game-winning drive. We just did not talk about Kirk Cousins' injury last week, which was my bad. Somehow we managed to skip over that game when I was really bummed about it because Kirk had been having such an unbelievable year. And you know what, Logan? If we're talking about top 10 QBs, Kirk was stamped this year. You referred to him as the equator? No, my friend. He's comfortably north. Okay, he's closer to Oregon than he is to the equator. The dude was playing at such a high level, doing so much to cover up flaws with this Vikings team. And of course, it's really disheartening to see him go down for the year with the Achilles injury. But they trade for Josh Dobbs. What did you make of his performance in this year? And does this actually mean anything for Minnesota long-term? Or was this just sort of a one-off magical moment?
2: I think it does mean something for Minnesota moving forward. And mm. I don't know if you've heard the nickname for Josh Dobbs, the Pastronaut, man. I think that is money. I think that is perfect uh, for Josh Dobbs.
1: The Pastronaut? Wait, the why pastronaut is that perfect?
2: Because he's, a, uh, he's an engineer. Oh, he's he's right. a rocket scientist, man. All four days of preparation, Cardson he upset a 3.5 favorite on the road, man. And Dobbs by no means was you know perfect. He took a safety. He threw a horrible interception uh, to newly acquired Contavia street but he made plays when they needed and he executed crucial end of the first half drive to get a touchdown he had that insane third down conversion uh, before that touchdown to madison he breaks a sack from a blitzing db then probably runs 30 yards to get the first down on third and 10. he scrambled really well he evaded the hell out of the pressure and he just provided the vikings a really improbable win the game really felt over um and the falcons were one of my favorite picks to win this week now I don't know how differently this game would have gone if Jaron Hall was in he actually looked pretty good too in the limit action that we saw Jaron Hall but uh you know I thought the Falcons were a lock all the skill position talent I thought Taylor Heinecke was gonna take this team up a notch I think he certainly looked better than Desmond Ritter but down 21 to 3 after the Jonu Smith 60 yard screen the game kind of felt over. Then Bijan fumbles. Dobbs has an awesome rushing touchdown to tie it up at 21. Heineke immediately throws an interception, gives it back. They get a field goal to lead 24-21. And then again, it feels like the Vikings just get stole on here late. Two minutes. Algier gets a touchdown. They lead 28-24. And Dobbs leads them down. He has a big-time throw to Addison. He converts a fourth down and seven again with his legs. And then he throws the touchdown to Powell. And you hear Kevin O'Connell afterwards. He wanted a guy who was intelligent was athletic and who had a little bit of experience and that's what i really want to stress about this game and what this showed me is there's such a massive benefit of having a guy like kevin o'connell for a young quarterback and for an offense he prepared josh really well in this game he was relaying calls and play descriptions the entire way through this game and he simplified the game plan for him Again, Kevin O'Connell is a backup quarterback in the NFL for the Patriots, the Lions, the Jets, the Dolphins and Chargers as we see with certain journeyman quarterback like Ken Dorsey. The transition isn't always flawless and perfect for elevating quarterbacks, but Kevin O'Connell is a good offensive coordinator and a good head coach and the Vikings are trending upwards. They're 5 and 4. I don't know how the hell they got here, but I really like the foundation and the culture of this team moving forward. Kevin O'Connell leading the offense, leading the locker room, and then Brian Flores leading the defense. They were 0-3 through three weeks. They were allowing 27 points per game. This team is really resilient. They're 5-1 and in the last six. They're allowing 18 points per game. They upset the 49ers. Uh, they almost upset the Chiefs. And the Vikings stopped the Falcons in the red zone three times. That was really imperative to the Vikings making sure that this team, this game was close. For Dobbs to make a comeback. I think he's a top-notch backup in the NFL. And props to Heineke, too. I thought, I think these are two of the best backups in the league. They're really serviceable guys to have on Sunday. And with Josh Dobbs, I think the Minnesota Vikings could quietly be a playoff contender. Even without Kirk Cousins, man. I buy into the resiliency of this team.
1: Very interesting. I don't know if I'm as high on their long-term outlook. But what I'll say, dude, is... uh... Those last two wild card spots in the NFC are open. Like, there's a lot of flawed teams, and Dobbs is a really good backup. I was loving the Josh Dobbs experience through the first couple weeks in Arizona, and then we saw him regress a bit. And one thing that I will say is he has massive balls. Like, that dude is <laughs> willing to be aggressive with the football, and that just started to bite him a little bit down the stretch. In Arizona, but it comes up big in this one, dude. And the athleticism you mentioned the huge conversion, the big time touchdown run. Like he has legit upside when he is humming, when he doesn't have that back breaking mistake. Yeah, he's a guy who can legitimately make plays for you. My concern is just he's going to be erratic, and there's going to be games where he is turning the ball over multiple times. I mean, even this one, he has a couple fumbles, but I'm talking about bad decisions through the air, interceptions. I agree
2: with you. I think that there's going to be some ups and downs to the Dobbs experience, but I think there's a real difference between Dobbs in Arizona and Dobbs in Minnesota. Or excuse me, yeah, Dobbs in Arizona and Dobbs in Minnesota. I think that with Kevin O'Connell, I think he can help him out a lot more than he had. I think there's a lot more structure in place uh, that, that will benefit Dobbs than you know the structure that he had in Arizona. I think that was a much worse situation. I really like the surrounding pieces and Kevin O'Connell helping him out
1: uh, the rest of the way. I concur. I still just don't think it's an ideal situation. This is still a team that is going to really struggle to run the ball. This is still a team that is down Jettis for a bit longer. Maybe they do make the playoffs on account of how weak the NFC is, and that would be a real accomplishment for them after how they started and after losing their guy who was playing like a star quarterback in Kirk Cousins but I don't think they're a team that has the ceiling to make any noise. The defense is trending upwards. I still don't think it's good. I think this team just relies too much on the quarterback position. Like, they were relying on Kirk playing so exceptionally, and I just don't trust Dobbs to play at a level close to that, even if he is a good backup, and even if this is a better situation for him. Last game we're going to touch on here, Logan, is what we saw tonight and there's not a whole ton to say about it because it was just a pretty ugly football game but what did you take away from the Chargers giving the Jets a nice little whooping
2: man dude it didn't even feel like a whooping no it didn't the really order like honestly the Jets are what I expected them to be when Zach Wilson plays like this it's what I expect the Jets to be I was more disappointed with the Chargers that they didn't yeah. I mean thrash New York Herbert really struggled in this game 16 to 30 136 yards he takes five sacks and again I know the Jets defense causes problems for quarterbacks I know the Jets defense is great but I mean the Chargers really could get nothing going on in this game they couldn't run the ball the short passing game wasn't working Herbert was off it was a really ugly game and you know, props to New York. Aaron Rodgers walking around. I know that we're still skeptical if he gets back. Maybe they make a little bit of a playoff push. I still think that's on the table. Again, even though this is a really bad game for New York, the defense did their job for most of this way. I mean, if Zach Wilson just isn't one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL, you know, this is a competitive game, bottom line. If the Jets have Josh Dobbs, this is a competitive game. If the Jets have. Taylor Heineke, this is a competitive game. If the Jets have Jacoby Bursett, you know what I mean? This is a competitive game. This is a competitive team. Zach Wilson just holds this team back, and there are flashes. And by flashes, I mean there's like one or two plays a game where you're like, Zach, you did something good. But for the rest of the game, it's, damn, Zach. The, The one play that I just think encapsulates the Zach Wilson experience, that third down where he scrambles out of the pocket and you go, The Jets are going to get a first down. He's going to scramble for it. It's like seven yards. And then he flips it to the running back and a defender tackles him immediately. That's the Zach Wilson experience. You feel like you're on the cusp. You feel really close. He's really close to being okay, but he's just not. Zach's one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL, man. And both of these teams just continue to disappoint me. I was... This is what I expected out of the Jets. The, The Chargers disappointed me much more. This should have been... Yeah, thrashing and ass-beating, and Justin Herbert just continues to, I don't know, man, play play well below his means. I expect Herbert to to, to be a lot better. I know in, in a lot of ways, he's in a similar situation to Josh Allen. I mean, Herbert hasn't even played close to that level as a quarterback this season. Uh, yeah, I, I was disappointed in the Chargers more than anything else after this game.
1: Agreed. And I only said whooping because of the final score, but it really didn't feel that way, and... You basically get two touchdowns from the defense and the special teams. You have the punt return touchdown, and then they get the ball down at the two off of that Zach Wilson fumble. This doesn't make me feel better about the Chargers at all. This offense, again, they continue to struggle to run the ball. They were okay there in this one, but Herbert struggling. I agree. I think that right now, if we're doing our quarterback rankings, I would still have him five, but with what Lamar is doing, is still in not an ideal offensive situation. I don't think that I can have Herbert above him. You look befuddled. Okay,
2: no, I thought you meant for a second you'd still have Lamar below Herbert. No, no, no.
1: I'm saying I would bump Herbert down from four in my preseason rankings to five.
2: Yeah, and I mean, at this point, I might bump Jalen Hurts above Justin Herbert. I mean, Herbert is just... It's so hard to separate the quarterback from the situation, but Herbert has just not looked up to Herbert's standards this year, man
1: yeah i mean he had a couple really good games early but it's true he's been inconsistent he's been mostly underwhelming the chargers as a team have been underwhelming but this is just an unfortunate wake-up call for the jets i would say who have had a couple of miracle performances and they beat the new york giants when they couldn't throw a forward pass and zach wilson picks up some garbage time yardage on that final drive but boy does he suck man and he's (laughs) traded in A little bit of that wild man instinct from last year that would lead to some more of those awful turnovers to be painfully conservative and just have a complete inability to push the ball downfield and to take checkdowns when you just can't. And either way, you're getting a guy who is not close to starter level. And it felt like the bow had been sealed on that before before this year, and that's why they got Aaron Rodgers, and then it felt like that conversation reopened, because I do think he's showed marginal improvement. I would rather have overly conservative Zach Wilson than dumb, careless mistake Zach Wilson, but it's still really bad. He's still so inaccurate. He's so inefficient as a passer. They can't run the ball well, but this defense is awesome, bro. Like, when we were talking about the best defenses in football, they might be number two. You could convince me they're number one, I think they're leading the league in pressure rate. I mean, the entirety of that front is so dominant. They got an elite number one corner. Like, it is such a great defense. And it is such a shame that it is being wasted by such an inept offense. But you can't really have any broad takeaways from this game other than both teams are disappointing. And yeah, the Chargers are better because they don't have Zach Wilson. So, no breaking news there, really.
2: Yeah, and I didn't mention the Jets is one of the best defenses in the league. They certainly are up there. They've been there for two seasons now, and yeah, it's a shame, man. They are, this is two wasted years of really good football from the Jets defense that has dominated Uh, because of their completely lackluster offense. The Jets are definitely in that top five. I'm kind of mad at myself for not mentioning them. Maybe I'd bump the Browns out in, in that top five. Maybe I'd bump the Browns down to six, but yeah, they are for sure up there.
1: I think the Browns are top five. I think it's Ravens, Browns, Jets, Chiefs and then Niners or Cowboys, I feel, are in that fifth spot. I, I I agree with that. I think the Browns have played at a high enough level to where they're honestly kind of a lock. I mean, they've still been dominant on the year. So there you have it, everybody. Apologize for it being a day late. But hopefully, it was not a dollar short, as they say. <laughs> if you want more nerd sesh content, you can find all of our full shows on the Volume YouTube page with video. You can listen to the podcast across audio platforms, and you can follow us across social, Instagram and TikTok at NerdSesh, Twitter at Nerd underscore Sesh. If you want to see clips from the show, if you want to see our trivia content, You can also join our Discord. That is at the link tree across our social media bios. If you just want to talk football, basketball with us, be part of our community. And you can check out our merch at thevolume.com. We've got hats, we've got hoodies, we've got shirts, we've got the flags behind us. So check all of that out. With that, as always, I've been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh.